I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello everyone, happy, uh, oh my god, everything that we know about Syracuse Basketball's clock saving day. Yeah, Jesus. Um, had woken up hoping it was just going to be a day of talking about the tournament, and and that's pretty much it. And then instead, morphed into, yeah, pretty much everybody sharing hot takes. I'm not even going to talk about those because I don't even want to. Um, but obviously plenty of things that motivated the hot takes that we, we can we can discuss plenty. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, if you see a link from Pac-40, just don't, don't, don't click on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, yeah, not going to say that because like, he's anti-Syracuse. Like, if there's a good anti-Syracuse, it's such hot garbage, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'd say if you see a link from Pat Forty, and uh, and to be honest, I think uh, Pete Demel too. Just kind of just, just tag it with an NSFW. Uh, that was and, really, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, even like I feel like at times he's worked really hard to like not have a an all the modern bias, which is great. But um, especially the last couple of years. But man, that was just like like. Where, like, people at the, or people, like, in the industry, like, bothering about stuff, because it seemed like he just unloaded, and it, and it, it doesn't bother me more than anything, and I said in our uh, fabled internal uh, news chat today that, like, it doesn't seem like anyone read this report. Like, bad things happened, but people were acting like Syracuse was this, like, den of, of just bring up, like, iniquity. Like, people were acting like this, like, the stuff that we read about in the Miami stuff thing, the Miami, uh, the Devin Shapiro scandal, like, I, I just don't get where where the outrage is coming when this is not nearly the worst college scandal anyone's ever seen in the last few, like, four or five years. It's not even really close, in my opinion, in terms of, like, salaciousness, but people are freaking out. So I'm not convinced nearly, like, people who... Are paid to write about these things have in fact read like the full report and understand what actually happened. No, I completely agree. And like we said, you know, it doesn't seem like everybody read it, um, and, and that's kind of disconcerting. I just, I've always had an issue with people reporting opinions as fact, 
And I think that that's the case here. It's just um, everyone, everyone kind of using a, a clickbait mentality to, uh, to to weigh in on on conversations. Um, Jared's here, so might as well welcome him him into the uh, the powwow. What a powwow we're gonna have today, huh, gentlemen? Yeah, I was saying on Twitter that the fact that UConn and uh, and Pitt already lost today is great. Um, if we get ourselves a Georgetown upset, I think that's the trifecta in terms of Syracuse fans not being as upset about not being in the tournament. <laughs> No, yeah, that would be that would be very nice. Uh, it's always good to see. Uh, we, I guess we don't call them brothers. I guess enemies more than anything else. But uh, go down in flames early on in, in March Madness. Um, it's always a good thing when Georgetown loses early. It's especially nowadays when, you know, when the bracket comes out. And it's funny to listen to like national media experts when they break down their bracket. Um, and everyone who gets to Georgetown, and they're like, oh, we can't pick Georgetown anymore because they're going to lose in the first round. So uh, at least hopefully we got that to look forward to this weekend. Also, and this doesn't even come from, like, a place of play. Hey, how in the world did Georgetown get a 14? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's when the, the bracket came out, that was one thing. Yeah, I mean, compare, you have to compare them in Maryland, right? I mean, uh in the resumes there, and I don't know how that worked out. So, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe the, the committee felt bad or something for some reason. I, yeah, the, the Big East this year got pretty good pretty good seeds compared to everybody else. For sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe your 13 lost at seed, like, maybe this is here. There's a lot of, I, I feel, Big East bias still, like, hanging around from when we were there and a lot of the other schools were there. Um, definitely a confusing uh, time for the most part to see uh, them giving that much credit. I know we talked about it way earlier in the season, and, and I was kind of against um, against not not against the Big East just for the sake of it. Um, it, it, was, it was more of a like I don't understand why they're being being given that much credit, um, and that's why I guess I'm kind of low on on all those teams. Uh, I think I have at least three or four of them losing in the first round and the other two losing um, in the second round. It's just, it's not the same conference it was. It doesn't mean it's a bad conference, but to consider it in the same exact, you know, revered tones that it used to be, um, pretty difficult. And, and like we said, you know, like a 21-13 and 13 Xavier team getting through, Georgetown being pretty much just given name recognition um, as a four seed, uh, definitely not the best. You know, I think if if everyone wants to kind of go around, if there are other glaring issues uh, with the bracket, I think those are that's, that's a fine topic to go through before we uh, before we dive into the actual picks and obviously some Syracuse stuff. We're going to talk Syracuse today. I would have never thought of that. Um, no, I looking at the looking at my bracket, I like I said, I think I mentioned in the round table, um, my my final four is pretty chalky ish. Um, I did have four numbers one seeds at one point, but then uh last night when I did the my NCAA auction, 
for the first time I've done what, by the way, that was my first annual auction, and that was a lot of fun. But I drew uh, Iowa State. I didn't buy them, but I drew them as one of my random draws. So I have adopted Iowa State as my new team because I could win some pretty good coin if they get out in there. So I had, to, I had to pencil them into at least the championship game against Kentucky. But um, I do have a lot of early around upsets. But when it comes to seeding and stuff like that, I mean, it gets a little, you know, silly um, when the brackets come out and people are nitpicking to a three or a four or what's the you know, difference between a five or a six or, like, who you know, who, you know, why didn't we get an 11 seed and now we're at 12? Like, it just, to me, it makes no sense. Uh, you know, once you're in the tournament, um, unless you're in the playing games, as we like to call them, uh, you really don't have an excuse. You just get in there, play. You have to beat the teams you have to beat. Um, yeah, you can, some teams have easier roads than others, but eventually you're going to have to beat good teams to win the national championship. So um, it doesn't really, all in all, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and, you know, eventually as you move along, uh, good teams get knocked out and upsets continue. Uh, so it, it's it's always – that's why it's always great, right? It's, it's why it always, we always like it. But, uh, you know, when it came to the seedings and everything, yeah, the, the only one that really stood out to me was Georgetown one. Uh, but uh, it'll be fantastic to see them, uh, see them lose early on. So that's always good. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I usually have a decent uh, number of upsets and, and a pretty good rate in terms of picking them. This year, I just I can't get a good feeling for this tournament. Um, so I'm a little lighter on the upsets than, than I like to be. I might go change a couple of those today or tonight right before, uh, at least sometime before noon tomorrow. Um, but I'm looking, I'm, hold on, I have to pull up the bracket here. Um, so yeah, the ones I do like, um, I am, I think Wichita State, I, I, as we've discussed before, Indiana is probably one of the two or three most talented teams in the Midwest. Um, I just have no trust at all in Tom Crean, and I think Wichita State just has that tournament pedigree where I could see them, I, I think they're going to win that game. I actually also think they're going to be Kansas, and I wouldn't be shocked if they beat, uh, a Notre Dame or a Butler or whoever else. I actually have Notre Dame advancing, which is probably to my de- uh, my detriment. But I don't know. One of those. This one of those years. Like it, it just seems like it lines up for them. Um, I think just think they're talented enough to get by Butler or Texas. Um, so that's you know what I have in the Midwest. Uh, I like Wofford and like Arkansas. I could totally see Arkansas being really kind of down after the two performances they added in Kentucky in the end of the year. Um, and Wofford's a pretty legit team. Um, I like Ole Miss over Xavier because Xavier, like we said, is incredibly overseeded. Um, and then the other side, uh, I like Wyoming. Um, I, You know, you and I is obviously a, a really good team. They're actually one of the only teams it is that has, like, the magical stat of being in the top 25 in both offensive and defensive efficiency, which is a – except for UConn last year – uh, that's been one of the indicators of a national champion. Like every national champion up, up until UConn last year had been top 25 in votes. They're only one of six teams, I think. Uh, all, but I like Wyoming a lot. I think they're a really good shooting team. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I think if Dayton wins tonight, I think they can do a couple rounds. Uh, and then I like Eastern Washington. 
just because Georgetown always loses those games and Eastern Washington stores the hell out of the ball. So, um, yes, a couple upsets, but uh, Owen Davidson, I like Davidson too. So, but I don't have a ton going very far. I think I have I have uh, Dayton going a couple rounds. Uh, I'm debating taking Davidson over to Zaga, but other than that, I'm, I'm more chalky than usual. I know you're not, John. Your, your bracket's kind of crazy. Yeah, my bracket, I mean, my bracket also results, too, from, uh, and I said this on the, the noon Slack page, was just kind of, it's based on the fact that my money bracket is versus um, my boss, who's a Kentucky grad, as well as um, an office full of people who really don't care as much about college basketball. So for me, um, I kind of have to pick something other than chalk in order to win. Um, we'll, we'll see what the final entry count comes in at, but it could be somewhere in the 20 to 30 range, which is just, which I think is just enough for, for me to, you know, I just, I can't coast on some early. I mean, last season, not to brag, I went 30 and two in the first round, which is, which I mean, in no bracket format is that going to set you up for, like at least guarantee future success. It's just going to, you know, start you off well, um, and I mean, I finished second, and my boss, again, Kentucky fan, won just because he he's somehow he didn't foresee anything. He foresaw, um, you know, his team going far and it happened to work out. But um, I mean, for me, I I think the upsets are tough this year. Uh, like like you said, Dan, there's just a lot of um, there are a lot of matchups that just. All, all, all the all the big upsets you would normally see from the really strong 12s or 11s are against really solid 5s uh, and 6s. Um, I know I've I used to Wyoming. I hope not, only because I had Northern Iowa going to the Final Four. Um, I actually I, I have UCI upsetting Louisville um, as, as one of my big ones in that first round. I've got Dayton, just like you, Dan, going a couple rounds. Um Let's see what else we have in here. Uh, I got Eastern Washington, and not just because it's against Georgetown, but because Eastern Washington does have the ability to to play a style that Georgetown simply can't keep up with. I mean, just like we saw two years ago, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, they, they could do something very similar. Again, Georgetown should probably be um, the six in, in this region, uh, maybe the five, and, and I could see them losing to Stephen F. Austin or UCLA, but um, Eastern Washington should get them uh, a lot. I got Davidson going a couple of rounds. I got Ohio State uh, pulling an upset in the first round. I got Ole Miss going a couple of rounds. Uh, and then I got Texas winning against uh, Butler, you know, another team that probably doesn't need to be where they are. But, yeah, I think overall um, my Final Four is pretty wild, just, again, because of the Kentucky factor. Had to go um, Maryland, Wisconsin, Northern Iowa, Iowa State. Uh, and if that works out uh, – I don't know if I'm the only person in the country with that, but at the same time, I'm sure it's going to be a non-conventional pick. So that could get me the money, um, even if I get two of those teams right, as long as one of the as long as one of them is Maryland. But we'll see. Uh, yeah, when it comes to big upsets, you guys looking for the first round. I do have uh, Georgia State over Baylor, uh, and I had that uh, for a while. But I was looking at Georgia State, and I was like, oh, that seems like maybe a possibly good upset for them, and then. I looked, and then I realized they only scored 38 points when they won their conference tournament. So that really concerns me, but I just figured I'd take a flyer on uh, Georgia State. Um, and oddly enough, I had them winning, and I got them in my auction draft last night. 
as a free pick them. So that you know, I have really interest there now too. So that's that's interesting. Um, I do have Davidson going to the Sweet 16, and Stephen F. Austin going to the Sweet 16. Uh, Eastern Washington winning, so those are the upsets. But it seems that uh, SF Austin and the Eastern Washington upsets are pretty popular right now. Uh, so I, I don't know how much uh, of a trend that is there. Uh, when it comes, to, I did like um, like John. I did have UC Irvine. Uh, beating Louisville, um, I don't see one of my strategies that I usually have during filling out brackets. And I'm not saying I've won a lot of brackets, but I've been, I have a pretty strong contender in a lot of these. Uh, usually at the end, it usually just depends on who wins the national title. Um, but it, uh, one of my strategies I try to do when I fill out my brackets, if I, especially if you're uh, like a higher seed, like a two or a three or four, and I don't think you're either good or I don't think you're going to make it past the first round, and I and I have, like, a pretty big upset, uh, like, early on, I'll take you to, like, the Sweet 16, or I'll keep it, or I'll keep advancing you or have that higher seed lose. Um, that's one of the reasons why a couple of years ago I actually had fought. I see I only fill out one bracket, just to let you know. I only do one bracket every year, and uh, I submit it in all the other pools. And then uh, – so that's that's the one I did have a Florida Gulf Coast winning the one year they beat Georgetown, and that was one of the wide strategies I implemented. If I if I don't think the higher or uh, the lower seed is good, I'm just gonna uh, advance you know the the big upset. So um, I'm trying to think. A lot of people I do have Butler going to the Sweet 16. That's really not an upset, but a lot of people do have Notre Dame advancing pretty far. Uh, Wichita State I have beating Kansas. And going to the Elite Eight, um, that was a big toss-up for me to figure out who was going to go to the Elite Eight in that round there. Um, but and Xavier, and it seems to be, I know they're the favorite, but they seem to be an underdog now because everybody's thinking against them. I actually have them going to the Sweet 16. So, uh, as a, that's, so that's pretty much my – no huge, huge upsets going on to the Elite Eight or Final Four. Uh, once you get to the Elite Eight, it, it's pretty much chalk for me, but – I see those as being the uh, the upsets uh, early on. So, yeah, I am curious what has everyone. I mean, I get some of the reasoning behind Stephen F. Austin, but um, considering how just a few weeks ago, I think Utah was firmly in a in a three or four seed conversation, and they might have even gotten dropped a little too low at the five. Um, it's surprising there. I think a lot of people are getting a little too high on Buffalo. Um, West Virginia was a really solid team, and Dan, I know that you were you were in the camp like I was of, you know, why is everyone so high on this team? Uh, uh, I mean, not so high on this team, but you know, why why is it that West Virginia can't seem to put two straight solid performances together? But they were still playing well night in and night out, and I think you know that can't be discounted. I think a lot, there's people entertaining uh, Valpo over Maryland, um, pretty much you know entirely based on on a Bryce Drew shot from over a decade ago. Um, yeah, just a lot of surprising things here. I mean, admittedly, at the same time, while I hate on, uh, you know, basing things on historic performance, I, mean, I have MSU getting to uh, the Elite Eight over in that part of the bracket, you know, simply because Tom Izzo has an ability to, to pull nonsensical upsets out of that. I'll say real, quick, real quickly on Utah. Um, I know Vegas-wise, their odds are pretty good. I think they're like 1-33 with the national championship, which is like 
uh, a lot high, a lot higher than any four seed, I believe, and higher than a couple three seeds. So, uh, yeah, they're a sneaky, sneaky team. Uh, and I agree with John. I, I was that was one of the upsets I was really thinking about. But as I looked at my practice, I didn't have any five twelve or five twelve upsets, and I needed to find one. So I figured Stephen that's Austin was my best bet. Yeah, I actually i I didn't almost Stephen F. Austin just because I think Utah's a, a much better team than they're probably underseeded. Um, but I do think that SFA uh, is a quite good team. I, I picked them for a couple rounds last year. Um, it's just I just didn't like that one matchup. If they were against uh, a couple of the other fives, like if they were against uh, Arkansas or uh, West Virginia, even I might have taken them. I just didn't like that particular matchup. I have Utah going through the Sweet 16 and losing to Duke, uh, and I don't even feel great about that. I think Utah's uh, a pretty underseated at five. I, I think they're a three, a three or four seed level team. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that goes to you know, kind of the question I alluded to earlier. Uh, starting with you, Jared, like who's the who's the team that was most underseeded? And that could be anyone um, across the board from a one through a sixteen. I guess who do you feel should have been maybe a couple spots higher? Oh man, that's that's tough for me. I really don't look. At, I didn't really look at the bracket like that. Um, I'm trying to think though. There was a couple that did stand out. Let me look here. If I can remember. I don't have them off. I'm sorry, John. I don't have one off the top of my head. Uh, usually, when the brackets come out, I, like I, said, I I try not to really think about that. I just try to think about individual matchups, and I get lost in the into the seeding in, in the sense. Um, so I'm I'm going to be useless in that standpoint. Probably Utah, right? I mean, Utah is the one that seems to be the one that everyone's kind of saying. Well, they they're much better than what they were perceived to get, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess another one too is like UCLA. I mean, not that they're, they were, uh, should have got, but a lot of people are debating whether they even should have been in the field. So, but I, when it comes to underseeding, I think yeah, probably Utah take the cake there. Um, I think they're definitely one of them. I think the most underseeded just that jumps off the page to me is uh, Wichita State. Um, and mostly, I don't think they're, you know. Them being a seven in and of itself isn't crazy, like if you compare it to other years. Um, but when you have a Xavier at a six, when you have uh, teams like um, a bunch of other teams that sit like the fives and sixes, I just don't think are significantly better. Even like Northern Iowa is really good, but Wichita really handled them in the last team um, in, in the last game of the regular season. So uh, the Shockers, I feel like, could have been a five or six, and they're they're down at seven. Um, that being said, I think they'd probably rather play Kansas than they'd rather than uh than Maryland, so maybe it worked out for them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think it, you know, you can definitely see the biases uh inherent in the committee here. I mean, a, a huge, huge big East bias, obviously. Um you see a big big twelve bias. Um uh, obviously that's how Texas got in, that's how Baylor was a three. Um to me, I, I think you're right that Wichita State seven seed is uh, is perplexing, especially up against you know a couple squads like Butler, like Providence. Um, I mean, I'd probably take that. I'd take them over every six seed um, without a doubt. Uh, 
And I know, like, day of, I, I definitely complained about the one seed, too. Um, I know Streeping the Lawn, uh, SB Nation's UVA site, uh, did an interesting comparison about um, how many times the highest-seeded ACC team was not um, the regular season or uh, tournament champion. It's only happened twice, uh, 1994 and this year. And both times, Duke was the highest-seeded, uh, ended up being the highest-seeded team despite winning neither, uh, which I found not coincidental um, based on some brand-name recognition. Uh, I think a couple of years ago they were up against, well, in 94 they were up against Clemson and Georgia Tech um, for that. And then this year um, up against Virginia and Notre Dame. So, again, uh, a, a little bit of brand-name uh, favoritism going on. Um, at least on paper. I, I do think it's perplexing how Virginia was left out of that at one seed conversation. And to be honest, and again, I said that day, I think I think Virginia and Arizona would have made much more fitting one seed than uh, than Duke and Villanova, but, but that could just be my own biases. And the fact that Villanova technically is the second overall seed um, is a bit, and, and Duke is the third overall seed, again, is, is puzzling. Yeah, it's the, I don't know. I well, we've talked about Villanova a bunch. Like they, uh, their resume is good enough, but their resume is also based on all these other Big East teams being uh, probably better than we believe they are. Um, Virginia missing out just seems weird to me. Uh, I guess if you have doubts about Justin Anderson, uh, maybe it's a little more legitimate, and, and we'll see. I mean, he didn't play very much in the ACC tournament. Uh, he definitely didn't look 100. percent So. If he's out, then they probably aren't a one seed. But based on what they did this season, that's one of the two or three best teams in the country. So it's a tough position. But luckily, the East, I think, is just is the weakest region I can remember in a long time. I have Virginia coming out of it only because I have the lead, the fewest questions about them uh, compared to the other, like, top seeds. Um, so if they do get... Uh, if they do get Anderson 100%, if their other guys stay healthy, get good performances from Brogdon and, uh, and a few of the others, I mean, they still can very easily take that region. It's not like they got stuck with Kentucky. So um, it, it kind of sucks for them that they're not a one, but I think if you're going to be a two, that's probably the most advantageous position to be a two in. Yeah, I'd agree there. Um, I, I think that you're you're dead on. I mean, again, it's kind of a gamble on, on Anderson's health uh, at the end of the day. And I guess that's why, at the same time, like that's that's not why UVA was dropped from a one. Because um, I know when, when they interviewed, um, you know, the committee chair after the selections, they said that no matter what happened in the Big Ten title game, Wisconsin had already uh, solidified their place as a one. And, and while I agree with that, and I do think they, they had solidified themselves as a one, um, the fact that they were, were slotted in as the fourth one um, says to me that it didn't matter what UVA did. Uh, and, and that's surprising to me, I, I guess. that I mean, again, I'm, the, I'm someone picking UVA to get upset uh, within a couple of rounds, but that's really just because of, of Anderson's help and the fact that they're going – they had the misfortune of going up against uh, Michigan State. But I, I just – again, I do find it very odd that that the committee seemed pretty set going into um, the Sunday games that these were the four when um, 
it's not that Duke and Villanova are not accomplished, but I just think that there might have been a couple more accomplished teams on those two lines. Yeah, for sure. I'd had nothing to add. <laughs> well, thank you, Jared. <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess before we we jump, maybe we go back a little Syracuse stuff. Um, Chat some beer. We can it's a little slightly early halftime. I'm pulling up my uh, untapped right now. <laughs> I will just say that the other day I had Rolling Rock ponies for the first time in a long time, so that was nice. I, just before I get into like the, the decent stuff I drank, uh, I was in Columbia, South Carolina, visiting friends for their ridiculous St. Patrick's Day celebration, and I had probably more Guinness on Saturday than I've had in the rest of my life combined. And that's not to say I don't. I, I think Guinness is fine, and I like Guinness, which is not something I usually drink. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of it on Saturday for a good like eleven hours. So uh, that was <laughs> um, I had my stomach. Had some, is, my stomach is turning, turning just thinking about that. Yeah, it was a long day. Um, I did have some other stuff. There was a a really good Dasher pub near where my friend lives. Uh, I had uh, the Grapefruit Sculpin from Ballast Point Brewing. Um, really good. Uh, you know, the grapefruit flavor, pretty understated. Like, you, you know it's there, but it's not defining the beer. A uh, really nice flavor, really drinkable. Uh, enjoyed that. Uh, I believe that's out in – that's California, right, John? That's Ballast Point? Yeah, that's down in San Diego. Um, I had uh, Craver Peanut Butter Porter. Uh, not some. I, I very rarely drink porters. Um, this one was really interesting. Uh, definite, like the definite peanut butter flavor there, but it didn't feel like you were like drinking a peanut butter, you know, smoothie or anything. It, it was just kind of like at the, you know, at the out front of the, of the flavor, but it, it didn't linger too much. So decent. I'm not a huge porter guy, but pretty solid, and I, I like what what the peanut butter brought to it without totally, you know, dominating the flavor there. Uh, let's see what else. I had Jade IPA from Foothills, uh, really solid uh, IPA. Nothing, nothing too crazy, but you know, nice drink. I like most of what Foothills puts out. Uh, and then a couple other more basic things: uh, three twelve urban wheat from Goose Island, which I drink pretty regularly, and then a uh, fat tire from New Belgium, which I don't always get, a, get to have. It's, it's a solid beer. I, just, I think some people like really talk it up, but I'm not so crazy about it. But I, I do enjoy it. When I have when I've had a chance to have it. Very nice. Uh for me, um things I had recently, uh via trade, um got to try out uh Surly's uh Brace of Ale, double IPA. Um, excellent, excellent beer. Uh, if you're into double IPAs. Felt like it towed the line very nicely between East Coast and West Coast styles, uh, not too malty or too hoppy on either end. Um also got to enjoy a uh, Westbrook IPA down in South Carolina, um, and I felt like that one, you know, was fairly similar. I felt like it, it managed to have a really nice hop character without being too heavy at all. Um, and also had, like, Arizona doesn't have a, a great beer scene by any means, but was uh, was out in Phoenix and got to try out a couple different things. Um, State Brewing has their, uh, their SPA, their single pale ale, 
uh, was one of my favorites uh, when I was out there. Also had a, uh, a very interesting one from Fate, the Chardonnay Barrel Aids Dropping Beats Saison. It was a kind of a beet flavored saison that uh, that I was skeptical of at first, but it actually uh, was one of the more interesting beers I've had. Um, enjoyed that as well as the Odell Bruins Runoff Red IPA. Um, and beyond that, not a ton of other things. Like I said, Arizona doesn't have like a huge beer scene. Try to like just get a, a, a feel for all of it. So had a uh, Cardinal Pale Ale from uh, Nebraska Brewing Company, um, and and that's the long and short of it. Definitely, uh, definitely some good stuff. I was really glad to see Arizona gets uh, a Founders distribution, so that was nice. Uh, so I got to pick myself up a uh, a four pack of Founders Breakfast Stout over at uh, over at Bevmo there in California. At least not yet. Doesn't get a uh, Founders. But they're going too soon. Problem is that the demand on that's going to be too big for uh, for anyone to get some in a reasonable amount of time. I'm shocked they haven't made it to California yet. I mean, I feel like everywhere it has founders now, so it's kind of crazy that it hasn't hit, hit California yet. But well, they, it seems like they are. It seems like there's been some hints that they're definitely going to be out here soon. Uh, the issue is for a lot of brewers that aren't in California already. Um, if your standard brews are IPAs, um, you're going to have a very hard time getting into any of the markets out here um, just because of how well we do IPAs and the preference toward them, the preference to drink local. Um, you know, there's plenty of, like, just big brewers that just don't bother with it. Um, I think for founders, and, and the same with Bell's, um, I, I think from what I've seen, Bell's uh, IPAs are kind of hanging around on shelves, not really, not really moving while uh, while their stouts and porters and everything are, are, are really flying off the shelves. I think the same thing's going to happen for founders. Uh, we don't really have much of a, a porter or stout culture out here. Uh, and we also have a limited amount of, of places that do sours really well. So breweries that are, that are going to excel, are going to excel, um, you know, with those styles are probably going to do best out here, in my opinion. But yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> go for it, Dan. No, it's nothing to do with beer. I forgot what I was going to say, and then I realized uh, this is going to shock you guys, but uh, Dayton just banked in a three-pointer. Of course. Of <laughs> course. Oh, funny, funny Twitter message that that I just saw from uh, from Trey Noon's own Michael Burke. Um, Realization with the vacated win, Syracuse did not, in fact, win ten fucking games in 2005-2006. I found highly entertaining. I can't wait to also is, find out in like the next three days that the that the uh, the long fabled assistant coach actually did get a head coaching job. Oh man, yeah, that would that would that, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? Everything we thought we knew about Syracuse basketball is just coming to a coming to an end. <laughs> coming to an end. Coming to an end in a couple of days, man. Though we've you know been been four or five years now since everything's been completely crazy. So, um, but no, yeah, what an interesting day today, huh, guys? I mean, basically, what I was doing today is. Uh, getting ready to do some other real work stuff, and then all the news broke, and uh, it was off to the races. And uh, it was interesting because 
uh, I, I think you both of you guys know uh, I've been trying to work up my Daryl Gross hot takes column for a while, and I've kind of let it sit for a while because I was waiting for to see what Syracuse University was going to do, and sort of decided uh, that if they didn't respond before the NCAA tournament, like by Friday or you know whatever it is, because I figured they wouldn't release anything during the week uh, that I by Monday come around to get ready get ready it. And uh, luckily, they did the job for me. And I can say, personally, I think 12 days isn't bad. Um, I would have liked it a little sooner uh, on the gross thing. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, they give you give them time to breathe a little bit, come up with some options and how everything's going to play out. And uh, the chancellor did his job. And uh, I so that was interesting to me to take. And then, of course, everything pretty much boiled over for me temper-wise and anger-wise when Gross went on his PR campaign this afternoon, first with uh, Syracuse.com, um, basically saying that uh, the move, his, the motion or his change, his change was his idea, uh, his and the chancellor's idea, and uh, that, you know, he's looking forward to this new opportunity and yada, yada, BS, BS. Uh, and it just infuriated me because that's the one thing I I just don't think Gross ever got when he was in his job is he was in the, you know, car salesman business when it comes to Syracuse University. And don't get me wrong, he was a fantastic car salesman, but everyone knew, like, you know, if you did your homework on, you know, selling cars or, you know, what the great deal on a car is, he was complete, you know, he was just a bullshitter the whole time. Uh, and when it come, and he came off pretty fake. And that's what, say, him trying to is make everything, you know, uh, all sunshine uh, really upset me and tweaked me. And that's why I kind of wrote what I wrote today. And I actually called Brent X. Uh, I hopped on his show briefly to kind of, uh, you know, just let everybody know that, you know, I, we here at Noons, Troy Noons, aren't buying his, uh, aren't buying his BS. And, uh, you know, everyone has to kind of uh, make sure he's held responsible for his actions in this whole NCAA ordeal. Yeah, I mean, his, him trying to sell that he didn't, he wasn't like demoted or whatever uh, by someone else, like obviously kind of ridiculous. I'm not surprised that he said it because I've, you know, been a Syracuse fan for more than a day. But it was pretty funny trying, seeing him try to spin that into a, you know, everything's hunky dory and you know, no one, no one did anything wrong and et cetera. But you can't can't be too surprised. I mean, his freaking name is in the report, like, how many times? I mean, there are literally two instances in the NCAA report. I know he's he's, he's saying that it's different. It, it The way it went down is different from what it's in the report, but I, I whatever. I don't believe that for a second. But he can defend it. He's, he's got a right to defend himself. But in two huge instances in those reports, one, he was, you know, the leader of the pack in trying to figure out how to – change Chad Noel's grades in the correct way. Like, how how are we going to do this? And the other way was just blatant disregard for the drug policy. And we can get into, like, whether or not, you know, Syracuse should have or shouldn't have a drug policy. They shouldn't have because there's no point in it um, other than to get yourself in trouble. Uh, but uh, he just completely ignored that part of it and literally told Behan to ignore it. 
and that's one of the reasons why, you know, the NCAA came down as hard as they did. A lot of this is just because of that lack of, they say, institutional control in the fact that it just it blatantly disregarded some of these NCAA rules. And that's what ticked a lot of people off, and it's continuing to tick a lot of people off in the national media because of this just like, well, you know, whatever. You know, everyone's doing it, or, you know, we – you know, that's really not how it went down, or, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal. Well, you know what? In the end, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Three years of scholarships are gone. Many vacated wins are gone. Uh, you know, money from, you know, conferences and TV deals or even bowl money are gone. It's just it's just crazy, and it's just inexcusable for a quote-unquote leader just to come out like that and just try to see if he can trick everyone into believing his bullshit, which is completely what he tried to do today. Yeah, I did. It's pretty uh, very, very accurate um, depiction. I think it was just one last round of spin. Um, you know, I don't necessarily buy it. I I don't think – I doubt most um, buy it at all, to be honest. And it's just – again, it, it was a pretty weird day to be uh, – to be a Syracuse fan, given, um, you know, kind of the reactions around Bayheim. Um, and I, I guess we're going to get a lot more from Jim tomorrow, and then we'll, we'll really see what happens with Hopkins tomorrow. Um, but I, I think it was just weird to see Gross kind of acting as, as, as a free agent. I mean, we, we knew he was going to be gone. Um, that didn't change the fact that once it happened, we were – we were intrigued and surprised, and but then to see him kind of act as if he was not really involved with the university anymore, and pretty much protecting the most important brand of all, you know, Dr. Daryl Gross, um, was definitely an, an odd one um, for me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird day, mostly because I don't think we expect, I mean, no one expected a, a, such a definite timetable to be out there for Bayheim's retirement, but if you had told anyone, um, like say the day that Siver took over, we had a new chancellor, we'd moved on from from the Cantor administration. If you told everyone that with with no thought to the uh, NCAA investigation, just like as a general thing that um, Siverud would want a new athletic director uh, for his first full year as chancellor, um, and Gross would move on, or you know. Uh, the, the whole whatever role he's taking on, I don't really buy it. He'll be gone sooner than later. And that Bayheim would retire after the 2018 season, I don't think anyone would have been particularly surprised with either of those things. So obviously they've been spurred on uh, and attached to the NCAA, uh, all the NCAA stuff, but it's just like it was It was surprising to see the Bayheim thing put out there so much so far ahead of time and and connected to something like this, but I don't think the actual time frame, like people were, some people were freaking out today about Bayheim leaving. I'm like, did you expect him to coach till he was 80? Cause I didn't think he was. And I didn't, I, if you had told me, you know, that uh, he was only going to do three more years, I'd say, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable amount for where he is in his career. So I don't think today was quite as groundbreaking as it was just a little surprising because of the, of the delivery. But the actual news doesn't surprise me when you think about it for a bit. Right. I mean, I, I think 
I think the the lack like there were so many people. All right, so and and again, this, without going too far into the the hot takes and, and everything, to to see the reactions today um, about Gross and and, and Beheim and thinking that these two things weren't coming um, is is confusing and and really just kind of silly to me. Like if you if you you don't have to follow Syracuse sports at the level that we do to to understand that these were coming. There's been numerous articles written that they were coming. Um, and then to see again to see the, the the shock and surprise and everything like like this all just happened today, um, just doesn't really make much sense to me anyway. I'm surprised they didn't do it tomorrow. Let's do the actual announcement tomorrow, like right at 10 a.m. Let them have the Bayheim press conference, and then just let it totally get buried by four days of nonstop basketball. Yeah, the, we did talk about that, too, uh, in the Slack chat room in the, in the sense that, like, why today? It, obviously, it's like PR 101, as John will tell you, it's like release it today, then it's forgotten tomorrow. But I also had the opinion today that I think, you know, Syracuse did think that if they released it today, it would get covered today, and at least it would be put out there that they did something, you know, because everyone's been, you know, um, you know, with their pitchforks and knives and or, or whatever, uh, when it comes to Bayheim's head and uh, our Dale Gross's head, and uh, you know, finally they did something. So at least people took notice in that one, especially the college basketball world, uh, and that will be a topic of discussion for today. Uh, and then what, maybe a little bit in the morning, but then after that, uh, it's going to get buried until they find a new athletic director. So. I also thought it was hilarious today, um, kind of along the same lines of, like, it doesn't seem like everyone read the report and and correctly digested how, you know, not that ridiculous the stuff that Syracuse did was uh, when compared to a lot of other schools that have been uh, found of, in violation of the NCAA code. But it, it was really funny today to see all the, oh, my God, how is Syracuse going to recruit now uh, people, which was, like, Mike Hopkins was named coach in waiting like a decade ago, and every time anyone's been asked about it, aside from the few instances of Hopkins maybe leaving, which he hasn't, um, nothing's changed in that regard. And Hopkins is the lead recruiter for Syracuse. Keith Bayheim kind of comes in to close the deal, but Hopkins is the one that builds the relationship with all the players. Um, we've heard that Hopkins, uh, you know, the players that, that commit to Syracuse who expect to stay four years, all understand the possibility that Hopkins will be their head coach at some point because Dubayheim is 70 years old. So while this puts, like, a more definitive time frame on things and maybe it'll, you know, a recruit who would have been a one-and-done doesn't want to come anymore because he wanted to play one year for Bayheim. I don't think that most players, and just by looking at the responses from, from Matthew Moyer uh, and Tyus Battle, our 2016 commit and our 2015, I wouldn't say lean, but possible, lean if we have a space for them. Like, they seem totally non, not worried about anything, and they'll both probably be on the team when uh, Hopkins takes over. So it was just funny to see, like, everyone searching for this, like, further way to tear down Syracuse basketball when it's pretty much a total non-issue in terms of recruiting and in terms of the transition. It, it's going to go the same as it would have, and whether or not Hopkins works out, that's a whole different story, but there's no real uh, – unless, like, 
some crazy big job opens up in the next two years, I really now don't see Hopkins leaving when he knows exactly when the uh, the time is going to come for him to take over. Yeah, it was interesting. I was listening to the CBS uh, pod, uh, podcast today with Gary Parrish and Nor- Matt Norlander and, uh, it, and those guys, and they usually have pretty decent takes on these situations. I mean, Parrish can, you know, he's a columnist, so that's so once in a while he has pretty strong opinions. But, you know, I think he's pretty – out of all the columnists out there, I think he uh, – college basketball columnists out there, I think he's the most fair one. Uh, but it was interesting when they were talking about – uh, you know, Syracuse's quote unquote possible coaching search if Hopkins doesn't work out. And they were trying to put Syracuse like on what tier they are. And, you know, depending on how the sanctions go out and how the scholarship situation is, um, Syracuse could be a good job for a coach, you know, moving up the ranks in three years. Or you could say maybe five years, maybe to give Hopkins a couple of years to see if he can do good in his job. Um, or, you know, it's going to be a job, a really bad job to take over. So that's another thing, too, like, in the sense of Hopkins is maybe Syracuse won't have that choice in three years, you know. Uh, they'll, they'll have to go with Hopkins because he, he'll be the only uh, good option on the table. So it will be interesting, but I think, like he, Dan said, I think Hopkins is all right. He's going to be, he's going to be just fine, uh, at least in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think the issue is, too, that some people who are jumping to conclusions, and admittedly, I think we jumped to some conclusions ourselves, um, you know, when Jim Calhoun left UConn and, and then UConn didn't get into a power conference. Um, granted, I think most of the players they won with last year were, um, you know, Big East recruited players when UConn was still, still relevant, and I've even seen some UConn fans weighing in today after the NIT loss, thinking, you know, like, this this feels different, that this is disconcerting, and I wouldn't blame them for being concerned. Um, But Syracuse is in a very different place. Um, For better or for worse, Syracuse is a top-ten brand in college basketball. Um, Yes, I just used the word brand. Um, You know. (laughs) Take a drink. (laughs) But SU is, you know, well-situated. They're in the ACC. Um, they they just have a lot more going for them than not UConn. I'm not going to make that comparison, um, but they have much more going for them than, than most schools would in in this situation. Um, obviously, it's a difficult conference. Obviously, it won't be easy. But uh, whether Hopkins is there or not, and again, we we set up this discussion plan just for this situation. Um, Syracuse again is is, is well set. Um, to be relevant, to be successful, as long as the current, you know, collegiate structure stays. And, and that's the benefit um, of being in, in a Power 5 conference. And that's the benefit, really, of, of Gross's tenure is getting us there. Um, and, and as much as we want to pan him and, and should pan him for, for what happened in this report, um, he definitely did um, did us a solid getting us to where we are. Yeah, totally that's a great point. Um, I'm both a town. Um, I'm, you know, say say Hopkins take the uh, say UCLA opens up and Hopkins takes it. And that's you know probably not going to happen, but pure hypothetical. Uh, and Beheim obviously keeps with his three year uh, time frame, which he did say like he he didn't say he like uh, definitively that it was going to happen. He just seemed to that was his plan. Um, but say he sticks with that. You know, the Chariot Dome isn't going anywhere, as far as we know. 
Um, at the very least, the 30,000 fans for any kind of a big game aren't going anywhere. And the Carmelo Anthony Center, which is one of the best facilities in the country, if not the best, is not going anywhere. So Syracuse is in a pretty good position. Um, Hopkins or no Hopkins, Bayheim no Bayheim. I think when you have a, a coach who's been here for near 40 years now and has built uh, a program that's a, you know, a power at the level of Syracuse, like you're not, not all going to fall apart right away. Obviously, if they were to hire a, a really bad coach or if Hopkins was to totally bomb, then there's a worry. But Syracuse is in an, about as good as, of a position as it can be uh, to replace it at like Bayheim. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was did an interview, a uh, radio interview earlier today after everything kind of went down, and somebody asked me about, you know, what, you know, within Bayheim News, you know, and all the penalties that are going on, you know, what's my thoughts on the program moving forward? And, you know, I, I think I said this in the last podcast, but I still kind of strongly believe this in the sense that Syracuse can really easily survive this if things go pretty well. Like, you know, because the recruiting class next year is good. Uh, it could be, you know, just as good the following year, uh, you know, depending on if they get, a, you know, another one-and-done player to kind of plug, plug in. Um, and they should have guys – I mean, they have sophomores and freshmen now that should be on the team for another two or three years, which will also help. So, I mean, it just depends on how everything goes, you know, barring, you know, injuries or uh, who decides to go to the NBA or transfer or – or, or whatever, but, uh, you know, for what Beheim has done with Hopkins and, like you said, Daryl Gross and branding uh, the program to, you know, the elite level it is now, uh, they, should be, they, they should be okay moving forward. And, uh, but it is, it is weird living in, in a world where, you know, Jim Beheim has a yeah, timetable on his career, so, and we've never had that before. Very much agree. Um, I know we're getting toward the end here, and I figured we'll call back to something that was up today uh, that I know I put together with some help from Kevin Wall um, up on the site, and that is, uh, you know, who is our next athletic director? So I don't know if both of you got a chance to, to glance over some choices, and these aren't the only choices, but um, I guess, Dan, starting with you, uh, who, who out of those, those names um, in particular really, really kind of, you know, shout to you is an option we should go after. And then if there's anybody you don't see on that list, um, who might those people be? Uh, I'm just reopening the first now because I don't remember names specifically. Um, I don't know. I'm of two minds uh, with this search. But it, it's really tough because when, when you have a coaching search, like we have for football a couple times, it, it's a lot easier to go identify coaches out there who, Fit what you want and what uh, profile you want from your head coach than it is for ADs, just because the up-and-coming, like, associate athletic directors and people on the lower levels are far, you know, less known in terms of who they are. Like, you can go look up a bunch of people, but once you kind of look for connections like you did in this piece, um, it's hard to just go point out random people. Uh, I do, I, I like, uh, I think we, we've all talked about, um, Carla Williams from Georgia. Uh, she and Julie Venata, uh, Julie Venata from Ohio State and a couple of the other ones, they don't have the – they don't fit, like, the, the Syracuse um, profile in terms of, like, area, and they're both from big public schools. 
that might not, like you say, that might not be the worst thing. They come from tremendous football backgrounds in terms of, but they all have uh, various backgrounds in terms of um, academic support, and a couple of them have worked with compliance. All things I could see Chancellor Sivery really looking toward, considering what's happened over the last couple of years, Um, and I think that would be a a very good decision. I'd be interested. I, I keep on looking back to Siverud's time at Vanderbilt just because that's a program. Um, well, Vanderbilt's athletic uh, department very uniquely structured in terms of it's not really its own thing. It's, I think everyone kind of has other roles with the university, um, probably to keep the academic integrity of the university you know, at the forefront. I do think yeah, Didn't they disband their athletic department? And Something like that. They don't have like, a standalone athletic department in the sense that like every other school does, to my knowledge. I could be wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I think they disbanded the athletic department around like 2005. And I, I, I was as we were talking about it on Slack earlier, I was thinking about that, and it, it suddenly popped in my mind now. But yeah, I think they, they – I mean, it's not as if they got rid of athletics, obviously. But I, I think, they, yeah, their formal athletic department is is really like exactly how you were describing. It's it, It's a group of – of people who were kind of brought together from other parts of the university. Yeah. And while Syracuse doesn't do anything like that, um, having people from that kind of school that, uh, you know, has private school, academic, uh, academically rigorous, which Syracuse is hopefully going to try to get back to a bit, um, and then kind of understand the, the things that are put on a school like that, um, and the fact that, that Sivaru probably knows people from his time at Andy, I think – that's the most obvious background uh, from his perspective that I think might come in, uh, in handy. But he also has a lot of connections to people at Ohio State through uh, his advisor's name, Jeff Kaplan. So it's hard for me to pinpoint someone specifically. I do hope it's someone who has a football background. I hope they are good with academics and compliance because I don't want to see Syracuse getting in more trouble right away. Um but, yeah, if, if someone who's been played at a football school like Ohio State or Georgia uh, or even a Vanderbilt who in recent years has brought itself up out of nowhere, made a great hire with James Franklin and competed, not at the top, but with a, a competitive team in the SEC, that wouldn't be a, a bad thing to bring to Syracuse where I think winning is far more attainable in football than Vanderbilt is in the SEC. Yeah, and as far as my opinion, uh, I mean, when it comes to names, it, it, John, you'd be the best one to kind of go through all this stuff. I mean, I read your piece, and it's it's a great piece, by the way. If if you listen to the podcast and kind of want to know what direction Syracuse could go, uh, John, you and I think it was Ken work. Did who else was it? Was Ken work with you today, or Kevin? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Kevin and I kind of kind of pieced these together based on searches. Yeah, it was yeah, great job uh, doing that. So. But yeah, as Dan said, in the sense that if you're if you're just trying to target someone, uh, obviously the academic background is going to be looked at pretty well after what just happened. Uh, but also, you want someone who is you know is is smart in the sense of like just running to making sure everyone's complying in what they're doing, and also you know being, but also willing to go out there and you know you know get the get the money that needs to be get gotten as we could say um but no yeah john you'd be probably better off to you know rattle off 
some good some good names since you did all the the article work. Sure. Um, I mean, I I was talking to some people on Twitter about this, and the name that keeps coming up um, over and over again is, uh, and it was kind of initiated by you know, some fans that, that trace back to his time with Big East in, in Syracuse, and then uh, Bruce Feldman tweets um, is uh, Nick Carparelli, an Under Armour exec now, um, but for the most part, you know, he does have an athletics administration pedigree. Um, Sean raised some red flags that, you know, maybe we try to go away from the business and marketing side of things and try to go academic. And I would agree. Um, the SU pedigree helps, especially because it's from the past Bologna era. It's from before Gross took over. Um, I, I think that definitely um, helps him in, in, in a very big regard. But I don't necessarily know if, uh, if he's the top choice. Um, some of the other folks, I know I divide up the article into two different places, uh, Rising Athletics Administrators and uh, and Sitting ADs. Um, and the Rising Athletic Administrators, I think, are the ones that really intrigue me um, just because there's some really unconventional choices. Um, Chris Kennedy from Duke, uh, Senior Deputy Director of Athletics. Um, he's got some Georgetown ties. Obviously, uh, we're pretty friendly with Duke. Um, I'm sure Coach K would provide a great recommendation. Overall, like, this is one that I could see, but I'm not as excited about it as I am some of the other ones. Um I mean, I, I think Carla Williams, from, from everything we talked about on, on Slack, is kind of the, the clubhouse favorite, at least for now. Um, she she doesn't seem like the, the you know, bold choice um, based on just resume to resume, but at the same time, uh, very much uh, has an SEC and football background. Uh, she has Vanderbilt ties, which, you know, goes back to what Dan was saying earlier, Um the fact that she has had so much responsibility on academic and compliance um, is, is great, and I think it's going to be um, a huge step forward. Plus, you know what? At the end of the day, um, I, I think uh, Chancellor Seabrood is, is a smart guy. I think he's someone who who looks to embrace a more progressive way of thinking, and I think someone like, uh, you know, a, a, a female like Carla would actually um, be very much in line with his way of thinking. Uh, same goes for some of the other candidates we had on here Uh you know, Michelle Willis um, over at Ohio State, the Ohio State ties that we mentioned from Jeff Kaplan. Uh, and then uh, Julie Venata, who is probably the most out of left field uh, person, but, um, you know, somebody who has, has worked with the NCAA for general counsel and advisory, um, has a legal background just like Saber does. Uh, she's definitely done a lot with academics, uh, with women's athletics. She overall... Um, does seem to fit a very interesting bill. I don't know if she's, um, you know, looking to move up or is ready to, to make that jump. She seems like she's a, she's a lifetime Ohio resident. Um, so I think those are some names to keep in mind in terms of uh, off-the-radar folks. Um, I know not a ton of major schools are looking for, for new ADs right now, um, at least from, from what I saw. I know uh, there was a one opening today that was filled, Colorado State hired, uh, was it Joe Parker from uh, Texas Tech, who's their, like, senior uh, senior deputy director. Um, and then we also have uh, just a couple, like, some rising names. I mean, these are all mercenaries for the most part, like Tom McClellan and uh, Brian Wickstrom from uh, Louisiana Tech and UL Monroe, uh, respectively. They're just guys who seem like, you know, they're, they're going to be moving up the rank. And if we want to be one of those stops, that might behoove us, but it could also set us back. Um, Scott Barnes is in there. Um, and then, 
Kevin Anderson Ward Manual are, are names that just are going to come up, so I added them. But the real name here um, is going to be John Hart. Um, he's currently the athletics director um, over at Bucknell. And uh, by most accounts, you know, he was the finalist alongside Gross uh, the last time. There was a uh, an athletic director search at Syracuse, so to me, Hart seems like because of the academic and fundraising success at Bucknell, the fact that Bucknell is a much harder sell um, in terms of alumni fundraising for sports than Syracuse is, and and still Hart was able to to do a lot there and has been able to do a lot there for for a decade. Um, I think that speaks volumes about his abilities. I think. Um, again, the academic stuff is huge, and his Syracuse tie is even better. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't necessarily think that that, that seals a deal for him. Um, it's just, you know, so interesting stuff and, and names to think about. I'm sure there'll be a lot more added to the pile as the weeks uh, kind of wear on in this search. Yeah, Hart's definitely an interesting name. I was actually just reading the comments, and someone brought up that he was the the uh, he was the finalist for the gross search. Um, it would definitely seems to be like he would definitely be uh, really not the anti-gross, but like just moving back in kind of a different direction to kind of stabilize things, get the athletic director, uh, the AD job kind of in order, and I don't know if conservative is the right word, but um, it seems like he'd be more of a uh, someone the Syracuse fans can align themselves more with than, than they were with gross, which I, I don't think was always a very fair knock on him, but Definitely something like Sean wrote about today. He he never quite uh, fit in at home with the Syracuse fans, and a lot of them, I think, felt bad against him. And then now that this came out, I mean, that's why he's kind of gotten – I mean, he's obviously on way more heat than they had from internally, uh, and I think that's warranted. But I don't think the fact that he's had a tenuous relationship with the fan base, for better or worse, um, has really helped him. All fair. Um, yeah, I think I think for the most part, uh, that can kind of do it for us here, unless you guys had any last-minute tournament thoughts, any other things you wanted to add about, about Bayheim and Gross before we kind of sign off for the week. No, just curious uh, what everybody's doing. Uh, for me personally, uh this is I've always I've been fortunate for the last four or five years to have absolutely nothing going on during this time of the year, so my slate is pretty much open. Uh and uh my best friends are coming into town for boys weekend uh this weekend. So uh we are one of my good friends who lives in my town now, uh he's literally kicking out his wife out of his house and all of our all of our friends are just shacking up at his house. And uh, we're going to watch a lot of basketball and drink a lot of beer, have a lot of good times. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be like a four-day bender or a three-day bender for me. So I'm excited. Yeah, um, it's a little different. The NCAA tournament, the tide of a monster, um, being someone who writes about college sports full-time now, uh, last year, after the Sunday second round, it's probably the first time I've ever really been burnt out on sports, and I, I didn't watch anything for the next, like, three days after that. So I'm looking forward to just not wanting anything to do with basketball after Sunday. Um, 
But, yeah, it's going to be a pretty wild ride in terms of uh, writing about everything and probably watching at least some of every game. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably be very ornery on Monday when it comes to uh, having to uh, – but I'll, I'll have a day off, by the way, which will be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely understand the sports burnout. Um, not that I I do it as much as you do, but I definitely, between writing about it and and working on the business end of it, I definitely can reach a saturation point. Um, that'll probably come depending on how the games go. Uh, obviously, if, if we just start seeing all, all the top seeds kind of you know, running through people. If Georgetown somehow manages to beat Eastern Washington, things like that will, will turn me off in a hurry um, from things. I know for the most part I have a lot of – I had a lot of travel. Uh, in recent weeks I have a lot more travel coming up in, in the next uh, few weekends. Non-college football season is kind of uh, when my wife and I do our traveling and when work um, has me travel uh, in that regard. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of things coming up. So I think I'm going to be doing a little lay-low weekend, um, just trying to get through the uh, the large amount of beer in my fridge and uh, enjoying basketball and a couch, and uh, and that's about it. Yeah, when Dan talked about uh, burnout, it's actually funny because it kind of reminds me, um, like Dan says, you know, when you're like a sports writer and you're covering sports, when, when I did it for the newspaper, but like most recently, when I did for SB Nation, when they had, used to have their news desk, I worked like a a noon, like the noon to midnight shift. Like I picked up a couple shifts, so it was like a twelve hour like uh, marathon shift. And I understand burnout because it's just like when you're working when they used to have the news desk, you're just pumping out material like every fifteen minutes, fifteen to twenty minutes, you know, score updates and like injury updates or what's you know bracket updates and stuff like that. And uh, it can be really taxing for you. So if you're an inspiring sports writer or a person that wants to get into the business, uh, yeah, you don't get to enjoy it uh, as much as you used to. Uh, that, that's for sure. That's one of the, the drawbacks of, like, being part of sports media is you actually have to work while it's going on. Um, but at least it's a good job. You know, it's, it's fun while you, you're doing it. But, yeah, I can, I can remember that day and doing that and being burned out by the weekend. Yeah, and I'll love I'll love Thursday and Friday. Those are still like my favorite two days. But after like two full rounds of of working, probably eleven or twelve hour days, I will definitely be ready for a couple days off. But uh, no, then then usually I'll be fine and ready to go. It is weird that Syracuse isn't involved though, because usually I'll I'll be watching all these games with like a a little bit obviously with my bracket in mind, but also like if it's around where Syracuse is seated, kind of just seeing what might lie ahead. So. This is definitely going to be a new experience in that in that regard. Um, not necessarily a fun one, but probably less pressure filled. Yeah, that's funny because like I, I won't have to pace myself this year. Like in the sense of like, there's always, especially when they were getting like the number one season playing at like nine o'clock at night, where you would have to like you get so excited during the day, um, but you'd have to make sure like you pace yourself enough to like you're not completely worn out by the end of the day, so you can stay up to the games. Um, it was a lot better when Syracuse was like getting early, uh, you know, early afternoon games, uh, so you could just you have a reason to skip work, skip work or not pay attention to work. Uh, so that was that was really interesting. That'll be that. Yeah, it's different. I, that's the one thing I will I am missing 
uh, a lot is just the anxiety of, like, the day that your team is playing an NCAA tournament because, you know, it could – you could be, you know, like Georgetown fans, you could be out in the first round uh, and it would be an embarrassment. <laughs> or it could be, like or, – or, or it could be, like, a start of, like, something fantastic like what we saw in 2013 – uh, so that you know, that's that the anxiety level there will be missed. But uh, hey, I'm adopted in Iowa State, so uh, let's go, Fred Hoiberg. Let's get let, let's get this job done, boys. I know we've all adopted Iowa State. But after like a month of Pippen Iowa State, the entirety of the noon staff is just like, fine, fine, we're really <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I I have a unique, and, and I said this last year too. Um, Again, as someone who has to work at the event, not in a writing capacity, but in a business capacity, last year it was it was kind of a uh, kind of a nightmare for me to have to see UConn and Kentucky this year. Um, obviously, the sooner all the teams that I hate, and that's a long list, um, are knocked out, the better. Uh, I definitely would hate to be, you know, in Indianapolis for for the coronation of any number of teams, uh, most notably Georgetown, Villanova, um, Duke to a point, uh, Notre Dame, but they're going to knock themselves out early. Uh, I mean, even Virginia, like, again, it, the, the list could go as long as I want it to go, but there, there are definitely a couple choice teams that I just, I can't stomach having to watch that um, go down um, either in the city or in the stadium. It's going to be so lovely when Georgetown loses again. It just really is. It's going to be so much fun. I may, I may never change my Twitter avatar. Georgetown loses <laughs> to a double digit team. Yeah. Well, I already have I already have tweets drafted. We are all Eagles is going to be one. Um, the Georgetown testing gift is going to be another one. I'll say, uh, I don't know. I don't want to commit to like keeping my avatar as the EWE uh, logo for like – I don't know. I'll probably keep it like that at least to the end of uh, maybe the end of April. I was not saying till next basketball season, but that's a long time. Yeah, yeah that's 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 the uh, that's a late that's a late game tomorrow too. That's a ten, 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 it's like ten fifteen start tomorrow night. So oh, that's important, Perfect. right? That's that'd be all eagle. Yeah, it's a home game. I love everything about it. It's, <laughs> it's setting up perfectly. I'm a fan, and the fact that. The fact that I will once again be at the gym while it's on, just like I was during the F- the Florida Gulf Coast game, gives me some very good vibes. Yeah, it <laughs> always makes you run a little bit harder. <laughs> Honestly, NCAA tournament, I got some of my best runs in every single year because I'll watch. Cause for me, it sucks because I spend the entire day not being productive because games start at 9 a.m., and then I pretty much just go the whole day not paying attention to work and paying attention to that. And then I head to the gym and then watch maybe, you know, two or three games, hopefully some nail biters, uh, while getting to around, like, well, it depends. But I can usually get to the three or four mile mark without much hesitation because I'm just, like, so fixed on a game. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. Like, Usually during, like, um, getting back to the gym and running, uh, I purposely, especially on the weekends, uh, make sure, like, I watch the first half of, like, the noon game. Uh, and then 
so I travel to the gym and then I can watch the whole second half of a game. And then obviously if it's close, I mean, you're not even paying attention to running. You're just watching the game. And like you said, you can get some really good workouts in. I won't be doing that this year, though. I'll be drinking. <laughs> also also a good uh, fat activity, so. <laughs> That's right. And on that note, I think we're good. Um, guys, thanks, as always, for uh, for joining us here on uh, Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Thank you for having us, uh, yeah, hopefully no, no problem. Be, hopefully next next week when we talk about Georgetown's uh, departure of the tournament, we can <laughs> we can have a little player haters ball type uh, fun. Yeah, no, oh, man. happy <laughs> happy uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. So let's uh, enjoy it. It's always fun. Yeah, see you guys in the next right, guys. You guys enjoy too, and to everybody listening at home, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, the whole deal on Blog Talk on iTunes. Uh, we like you, so hopefully you like us. And, uh, yeah, go Eastern Washington Eagles. Go Eastern Washington. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.